A story that uh, happened last week that uh, has got me really thinking is about what happened uh, when a Brampton judge dismissed an Ontario man's constitutional challenge over legal limits for THC while driving. Let me give you the quick background on this. This is uh, the case of Brady Robertson, who pleaded guilty to four counts of dangerous driving causing death in connection with the June 2020 collision that killed Carolina Casillo and her three daughters. Their three daughters were between the ages of six and one. This was an absolute tragic case, absolutely preventable. But Robertson pleaded not guilty to four counts of operation while impaired by drugs causing death, and his lawyers filed a constitutional challenge of the law in this country that sets out the legal limit for THC blood concentration when driving. The lawyers argued that the current limit of 5 nanograms of THC per millimeter of blood within two hours of driving, that is arbitrary, according to lawyers, and overbroad because it doesn't correlate to impairment. In other words, it's possible, in a, under a hypothetical scenario, that a frequent cannabis user could have a residual THC level, uh, perhaps even more than the legal limit, even many, many hours after the impaired impacts and effects of marijuana has worn off. Now, to keep in mind, in the Robertson case, toxicology results revealed that his blood drug concentration was 40 nanograms of THC per milliliter, eight times the legal limit. But if you can take away the, the horror of the actual crash, and I know that's hard to do, but when we talk about law and when we talk about things like constitutional challenges, is the point of you know what the judge has to do and the judge said no i reject it i'm rejecting this constitutional challenge and to talk more about it joseph newberger a criminal defense lawyer uh, and partner at newberger partners joins me uh, joseph how you doing i'm good alan how are you I, i'm good I, how precedent setting is this a rejection of the constitutional challenge um, it, it has limited value. I mean, there may be other challenges, but this was um, set up reasonably well with a hypothetical and some fairly good expert evidence. So this may it may end the constitutional discussion about the validity of that particular section of the criminal code. So it may shut down future uh, future challenges, although just so everybody understands, um, an Ontario court judge uh, is um, at an important level, but they're not their decisions are not binding on other judges across the province. So it doesn't preempt uh, another lawyer in a situation, maybe with a better fact scenario, to bring a challenge to that particular section of the criminal code. Yeah, no, I, I made the point that the judge is, is supposed to evaluate this, um, not looking at the particular case. I, I, am I right on that? Or, because, you know, yeah. or, or was this because part of the decision because of the, the level of THC that Robertson had in his, in his blood? No, you, you, you did it. You hit it right on a nose. So it's an excellent point. You have to try and look at the constitutional application itself from an objective standpoint and see if there is a violation. So you're bang on. But sometimes arguing a constitutional challenge on a pure hypothetical is not always the best thing. You may have an accused who comes forward who has six nanograms uh, of THC in their blood system and is charged with the uh, impaired operation of a motor vehicle. And you may be able to have some real good evidence if the person has been tested and you have some solid evidence about that level of THC. 
It may be a better real-life fact scenario to try and see if it's unconstitutional. Although I think overall, uh, the application had what I would say legs to it. I didn't think it would be successful. And I think the what was important that the judge noted was that Parliament, when they enacted the legislation legalizing marijuana, they really clamped down uh, in a number of ways on the trafficking of marijuana and also on operating a motor vehicle. So when they decided that five nanograms would be that that limit and they drafted the impaired section, they had very much in mind that they want to prevent people from driving uh, without THC in their in their system or at very, very low levels. The judge also noted that it raised some pretty thorny uh, policy issues. Is there any weight that you see behind this hypothetical that a regular cannabis user may have more than five nanograms in their system even many, many hours after the impairment of marijuana has worn off? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an excellent point because there are people who are using uh, you know, marijuana on a regular basis. I mean, after all, we legalized it. So, I mean, Justin Trudeau decided to legalize it. So you may have people who don't use it occasionally. They may be, you know, regular recreational users. And so it will remain in their system. Uh, it can remain in your system up to 20 to 30 days. And in particular, if somebody is a continuous user of it, and it will always be in their system. And it may be that it's at six nanograms or seven nanograms, but their ability to operate a motor vehicle is not affected by it whatsoever. That may bear itself out. And so I think that is a very important policy issue because you have the debate between is it really impairing somebody's operation at that level of THC in the blood system where somebody is a regular user, which is lawful in Canada, because we have a legal limit for alcohol. It's 80 milliliters. Um, 80 milligrams per 100 milliliters of blood. We don't have the quite analogy here in Canada with respect to whether five nano, uh, whatever it is, nanograms of, of THC would really impair. So the science on this is still relatively new, and I think there are strong policy issues to consider, and that's why I said in a real-life scenario where there's a, a better fact scenario, this might be revisited. It's interesting because I, I sort of, you know, when I saw that ruling, I wondered just how precedent setting and whether that would actually shut down any other fu- future challenge. But your point being that because of the, the level uh, of the court level where it's at, it, it's not binding. That's right. So this doesn't preempt anybody from bringing a challenge in another case. So it, it, you may see this happen again, uh, but maybe with a real life scenario that I'm saying where somebody is just mm-hmm. barely over and there's no signs of impairment. Right. Joe, great to talk to you. Appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Take care. That's Joseph Newberger, is a criminal defense lawyer, talking about this uh, case last week where a judge had dismissed Brady Robertson's constitutional challenge over Canada's legal limits for THC while driving. I think that we will see another challenge to this. I think eventually we will get to a point where, just like Joe talks about, that there will be a case where there is a, a better set of facts surrounding the case, if I can put it in in that kind of way, because obviously what happened uh, with the Casulo family was absolutely tragic, and as I say, entirely preventable. So this was maybe not the case to be able to base this on, but going forward, I think we will see a much stronger constitutional challenge to these rules all surrounding drug impairment while driving.